You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, thank you to the Degalato family and the Degalato family for uh, reading our scripture for us. I want to uh, make you aware of another event that kind of folds right into the 4th of July weekend, another event you can be a part of. If you've been a part of our City Conversation events in the past, we're going to be doing that this week on Friday at 7 o'clock, but instead of doing it uh, in person, we're going to do that online. And so we want you to be a part of this online Friday at 7 o'clock where we discuss with Dr. Mark David Hall about his new book, Did America have a Christian founding? There's kind of this academic question out there. What was the origins of America? Was this all economic? Was this all political? Or did this have a religious element to it at all? Dr. Hall's uh, professional vita, his academic vita is a mile long. And so I can't recite all of that and all the academic research that he's done. But it's sure to be a very, very thought-provoking conversation, not just how we wish it would have been or what it was, but really uh, first source material, just say primary sources, this is what actually happened. And so really, really thought-provoking. Friday at seven o'clock, be sure to join us. Wherever you're watching this, uh, you can watch it from home. So whether live stream or Facebook Live, be sure to tune in and uh, be a part of that conversation Friday at seven o'clock. I know I'm looking forward to it. And we are gonna continue in our series in Colossians, uh, looking at chapter three, verses 18 through 21, how Jesus hits home. Colossians chapter three, verses 18 through 21, how Jesus hits home. You'll notice that right now we're only going to cover these first four verses. This passage is a little longer. What the Degelados read for us is a little bit longer passage, but Pastor Scott thought it would be best to do that as kind of a standalone sermon. It deals with bond servants and servants and slavery in the first century. And so in this kind of historical moment, we want to deal with that in a standalone sermon, explain how to interpret the Bible in those passages. And so that'll be next week. So you'll be, want to be sure to tune in uh, on live stream if you're watching from home or if you're here in the worship center before, be sure to look at that. As you turn to Colossians 3, I want to remind you about a couple people who we were introduced to in Colossians chapter 2. Paul, in his letter to the church in Colossae, says, I want you to watch out for a couple of people. The first one is those people who are going after, kind of on this magical mystery tour, they are looking for an extra special spiritual experience every time they meet with Jesus. And so a lot of times, you know, God does speak to us, but they are really, really focused on the study of angels or on these hyper-spiritual things. This is that person that always has a vision for you. God's always told them something about you, and it might not necessarily line up with Scripture or what God's been telling you through the study of His Word. And so Paul says, I want you to watch out for those people, kind of the hyper-spiritual, those who, in that passage, he says, are going after angels and visions all the time, because really what they're saying is, Jesus and his word and the word revealed in the flesh is not enough. We got to keep adding to it and adding to it and adding to it. Well, there's another group that's doing the same thing. This other group, they're saying all these Old Testament laws, all these Old Testament rules we used to follow, we need to hammer away at those. We need to make those a big deal. And he talks about every festival, every new moon, every Sabbath, man, they were really, really recognizing all those holidays and pounding away with all those rules. And Paul said, those people are going to end up discouraged They're going to end up at the end of their road because they can't possibly add up. They can't possibly perform all these things for God and somehow get God's love for them. So he says, I want you to be the hyper-spiritual people or the hyper kind of law-abiding people. I want you to live with Christ in God. I want every day when you wake up through prayer and through studying his word for you to live 
with Christ in God, in lockstep with everything Jesus wants for your life. That's where you're going to be able to live out what we're about to talk about in Colossians chapter 3. So in Colossians chapter 3, we'll look at the first verse that we're going to look at here in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So on that first blank in your worship guide, or if you've got the worship guide at home, how Jesus hits home wives. How Jesus hits home for wives. It's at this point in the sermon I'd like to thank Pastor Scott Mays. Of all the verses in all the Bible that we could be covering this morning, please send your cards and letters care of Senior Pastor Scott Mays. So as we look at this passage and we say, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, that kind of comes across kind of strange, doesn't it? But one of the rules that we have for interpreting scripture, one of the big rules for interpreting scripture is one scripture can't violate another one. One principle that we find in God's word can't violate what God has already said. So I want you to think back to Genesis 1 through 3. So this is the assembly line where you're coming off of the boss baby plant where God is kind of putting people off the assembly line. God chooses to make some male and some female. God chooses that. That's part of his design. Part of his design is that you are hardwired with some differences that you've just had since birth. And all of those people who are created in the image of God are equally loved by God. God loves every single one of them. He wouldn't have brought them into this world unless they were created in his image and they were loved by him. And so God creates people with male and female, and he loves them all the same, male and female. And then if God would choose to move in this way, you would be joined into a covenant marriage. Now that covenant marriage could last a lifetime. It could last decades and decades and decades. For others, God has already called your spouse to be with him. But whenever that time period is, when you're in that covenant marriage for those years, you are designed to be that person. God equipped you with some superpowers as a male, as a female, to be a part of that covenant union. And so when you get together, you know that you approach problems differently. You communicate differently. You approach all of life's drama and life's issues differently. God made you different. He wired you different in that. But in that, because that's a part of God's design from Genesis 1 through 3, because he intended for that, I believe that we should find joy in that because we're doing what God created us to do. In marriage, acting like a man or acting like a woman is exactly what God has designed you to do. He puts you in that covenant marriage for that purpose. When we realize God's design for us, that's where we can find joy in the intimacy of marriage. We can find joy in the differences between you and your spouse. Joy in the protection that your spouse provides. Joy in the hard work that your spouse does. Joy in dreaming together about the future of your family. But did you notice that tagline too? As much as this is part of God's design for wives to submit to husbands, there's that part that says, as is fitting in the Lord. That excludes some other things. That's some things that it excludes are all other husbands, all other partners, all abuse, whether that be emotional or physical or psychological, all injustice. If your husband is asking you to sin or commit crime or any of those things, those things lie outside of this commandment. So wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In fact, we find in other passages, both inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter writes a letter to the churches, because this is Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, but Peter writes a letter to the churches, and in chapter 3, he says this, both inspired by the Holy Spirit, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You may be thinking this morning, yeah, but you've never met my husband. Are you kidding me? Submit to, he's not a spiritual leader. He's not an anything leader. He is a bump on the log. But Peter says this, you win him to the Lord through the way that you act. 
through the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that you show him. You begin to model for him what Christ-like love is like, and you, you then win him to the Lord. We have women in our congregation who are doing just this. You've met them, you've seen them, you've prayed with them, you're in Bible fellowship groups with them, and you've never met their husband. They're winning those husbands to the Lord. They're praying for those husbands. And they're here each and every Sunday morning. They're living out 1 Peter chapter 3. And so you may say, well, my husband's not a believer. He's never repented of his sin and placed his faith in Christ. Well, then this is your opportunity to begin praying for him, to begin loving him. And even if this is just a little crack in the door, just a little sunshine coming through to say, I can appreciate the way that God created my husband. I can appreciate that he's uniquely wired. There's certain things he's really good at. And you know, this is really a call to cheer him on. To say, even though he doesn't know the Lord yet, I'm going to cheer him on because God created him uniquely. He's really good at some things. I can find joy in him because he's loved by God, he's created by God, and I can celebrate with joy the things that he's really good at. Maybe this is just that little crack in the door that begins that process for you in your marriage. The second one is how Jesus hits home children. Notice in verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now that kind of harkens back a little bit. It kind of makes us think of Exodus chapter 20. Because here Paul says, children, obey your parents. But the ringing in our ears, the echo that we hear from the Old Testament is kind of honor your father and mother. So what's the difference between honor and obey? Well, honor in the Ten Commandments is a universal command for everyone, right? No matter what your age is, if your parents are still alive, you honor the office of your parent, of your father and your mother. You honor that office regardless of whether that person was awesome or whether they were kind of a deadbeat or whether they had anything to do with your life. You honor the office of father or mother. You honor them. That could be anybody from any age, as long as your parents are still alive, right? Even after they've gone home to be with the Lord, uh, even still honoring their memory and honoring the stories that you tell about them and the, the legacy that you pass on. But this one's a little different because it says, children, be obedient. Now, this is a letter. So Tychicus and Onesimus and these guys are delivering this letter. They're unrolling it and they're reading it out loud in the church of Colossae. And imagine the children who are in that congregation and they're hearing this letter read aloud. They're hearing them read, and it says, children, obey your parents. They would have like eyes this big. Like, what did he just say? And maybe for the first time, they realize that Jesus cares about their relationships before they get their license, before they turn 18, before they go to college or get that first big job, that Jesus cares about our relationships even before we leave home, that children be obedient to your parents. Think about how important and crucial it is if you're a child growing up in Colossae at that time and you hear this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit from Paul, it caught you at exactly the right time in your life. Because if you can learn to be obedient as a child, think about how much joy you're going to have in the classroom. Think about how much joy you're going to have in the rehearsal room. Think about how much joy you're going to have on the sports field or that director for that play. Think about how much joy you're going to have in those moments because you learn to be obedient at home. Think about how much more successful you'll be in each one of those things if you've learned early on to be obedient, because what is really all of life? Obedience. Have you ever lived a day of your life where you didn't have some sort of authority that God had ordained over you? Have you ever really had an independent, totally free day in your entire life where there wasn't some amount of, of accountability and oversight that God designed you to have? In fact, we even romanticize the times when somebody early on in our life taught us how to be obedient, right? 
At the time, you hated that that coach yelled at you. You hated that the director yelled at you. You hated that um, the, the orchestra leader yelled at you, but it made you better. And now you look back on it and go, man, I'm so glad they made me obedient. I'm so glad they taught me how to be obedient early. That's made me a better employee. That's made me better and more successful in my life. And so anything we really do, anything of really any consequence, think about it. Anything you've achieved in your life, wasn't there a teacher? Wasn't there a boss? Wasn't there a coach? Wasn't there somebody that was kind of prodding you along, telling you to be obedient? Wasn't there someone who was kind of getting in your face and making you get better? Obedience is a big, big part of God's design for us. And so it says, children, obey your parents. I learned about this. It was kind of, um, kind of a, a personal story, uh, something that you guys may not know about me. And so I, obviously I'm sharing this online now so everybody knows. But you'd have to get to know me a little while uh, before I would share this story with you. But during my college years, um, I was in, uh, going to Oklahoma Baptist University. And uh, during that time, I spent two summers in Oklahoma County Jail. I was in the chaplain's office, but, you know, still. Um, I, I could hear the personnel committee start to move, and they were going to go meet real quick. Um, and so I was in the Oklahoma County Jail in the chaplain's office. And, and it was interesting. There's a lot of different reasons why people go to jail. Uh, this definitely challenged some of the answers that I had to all of life's problems. I arrived with all those answers, and I was left with a, a big visual on how your city works and how your world works and uh, what all goes on uh, behind those doors. And so it was a great experience for me. Some people go to jail for mental illness uh, because they're just mentally ill, and that's really, really sad. Um, if they had a support system that keeps them on their medication and keeps them going, uh, they can live as good citizens, but off their meds, uh, they can be uh, pretty dangerous. And so I saw that. Uh, probably the saddest ones that I saw were those who were just simply elderly, had no family, no support system, no church home, uh, no way to not be framed for something that went on, and they were going to spend the rest of their lives uh, in and out of incarceration. But here's the one that really baffled, baffled me. It wasn't as sad. It just it didn't make any sense to me. There were people who were otherwise able-bodied and able-minded who would leave the Oklahoma County Jail, and they would walk past just four blocks to the city rescue mission. And at the time, the city rescue mission had two rules. The two rules of the city rescue mission were you have to be in by curfew and you have to take a shower. Now that was just to enter into the doors, to have a place to sleep and a hot meal. Once you got into their program, they would provide you shoes, they would get you your license, they would do job training, they would do all these different things to get you back on your feet, they would protect you from an abusive spouse. But at that time, uh, all you had to do was just arrive before curfew and take a shower. That's all you had to do to go to the city rescue mission. And time after time, I would watch young men and young women who would walk those four blocks right to the city rescue mission and then just walk on by and sleep under the overpass of I-40. And so we would ask them at the jail, say, why do they walk past the city rescue mission to go sleep under the overpass? And person after person would tell us, it's a curfew. I don't want to live by the curfew. I don't want to be in on time. Think about where you have to get. To say, I would rather sleep outside on the concrete, in all kinds of weather, under a dangerous overpass, then be obedient to a simple curfew rule. Then be obedient to just taking a shower and having basic sanitary skills. You have to get to a pretty rough place. If children are taught to be obedient early on, they will miss out on so much hurt and so much pain that comes with not being obedient to any kind of accountability, even the most basic, basic accountability. 
the most basic, basic boundaries and structure to our lives, and they reject it all. So Jesus hits home for wives and for children, but also for husbands. That's our next point. Jesus hits home for husbands. Notice what it says in verse 19 and then verse 21, because they're kind of almost parallel. Verses 19 and 21, husbands are instructed to love their wives and do not be harsh with them. Then, just skipping down to verse 21, the same is true. If God blesses his marriage with children, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So it's really kind of the same command. It's just directed to husbands and fathers, those who have been blessed to have children and those who have not. Equally married, equally loved by God, but at the same time in two different situations. Now think about the way that you love your spouse. Think about the way when you were dating your spouse. When you were dating your spouse, you knew everything about them. You knew every like, every dislike. You studied them. You just said, I know everything about this person. Now, a lot of times we were dating their PR department as they were dating your PR department to kind of give the best version of themselves in those first few dates, those first few months, right? But you knew everything about them. You knew everything about that person. So I want to challenge you men right now that if we were to run to Sonic right now, we were to go to Starbucks, what do you order? What's your wife's favorite drink? What would she want right now? If I didn't let you pull up her profile on Netflix and just showed you a list of movies on Netflix, could you recreate her, we thought you'd like to watch this next? Could you create, could you even get like 50% of the movies right on, we thought you'd like to watch this? Study your spouse the way you did when you were dating. Study them not to discourage them, not to be harsh with them, as it says in this verse, but to love them. And to show that same kind of love and attention now that you did back then. And then the command moves to fatherhood, to the focus on children. In that, in that move to fatherhood, it says this, don't provoke your children. You see, fathers are created by God in the image of God with a superpower to lead a family, to lead and to be a spiritual leader. But here's what happens if you don't lead. Here's what happens. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway youths are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 70% of youths in state institutions are from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers are from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists motivated, motivated by displaced anger are from fatherless homes. Men, you have a vital, vital role in the home. God designed you, Genesis 1 through 3, he designed you to have this huge effect on your family. And this is what happens when you choose to not do that, when you choose not to live out that role. But think about this. Think that this, verse, this letter is being read aloud. These verses are being read aloud. And just seconds before, in chapter 3, just seconds before we got to the passage we're in, so we're in chapter 3, verse 18, so by the time you read this, if you were just to read it aloud, skip back up to verse 12. Notice what it says in verse 12. Put on in as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You may be thinking about your home and thinking, well, my father doesn't necessarily live out all of these qualities all the time, this sort of 
incredible love that they talk about earlier in chapter 3. But we have to put this in context with chapter 2 and chapter 3 and all we've been studying these last few weeks. See, these are really fathers that have put on the new self. If you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, if you've never put on that new self, you're really not going to be able to live this out. And so this is an opportunity to say, this is the gold standard, this is the God standard that we want to follow, but if I don't have a father like that, I need to begin praying for them. Just like that spouse, if my father doesn't have this kind of compassionate, kind, loving relationship with me, I I need to begin praying about that. Praying that at some point they would repent of that sin and place their faith in Christ, so they would be able to take off the old self and put on the new self. Because like we talked about, if they're not living with Christ in God, maybe if they're walk has just somehow stalled out. They're not praying. They're not reading their Bible. They're not living with Christ in God. They're not going to live out this passage. And so I don't want you to go home and hold them accountable to all these things and say, here's how you messed up. Because at the same time, these are people who put on the new self. Maybe you are a Christian believing husband this morning or online. You, you have done that. You've placed your faith in Christ. You're growing in your walk. Even more so, we are dependent on God's grace. Don't let the fact that you failed and you've been inconsistent keep you from applying this passage to your life. Here's the fact of the matter. You've screamed at your kids. You threw a tool across the garage. You got kicked out of the Little League game. I know it was a strike. I know we had a no-hitter going, but it was a ball. So get over it, okay? You've done that, okay? And you feel bad about it. That's where God's grace comes in. God's grace comes in to make, in, make up for those gaps where you maybe had a little interruption in the service where you just kind of freaked out, right? Just because you've been inconsistent, just because you failed, doesn't mean you, walking, you stop walking in God's grace. You keep walking in God's grace. You need it more than ever. You need the gospel in your life and to show that gospel to your children more than ever. In doing so, you exhibit, when you ask for forgiveness and forgiveness is granted, when you ask for grace, and grace is granted, you exemplify the gospel to your family. You preach the gospel to your family. One of the biggest kind of life-giving pieces of advice that I got early on in parenting, and I realize I'm still very early on in parenting, my kids have not made big expensive mistakes yet, so I I know my place, right? I know know where I'm at in this. But one of the most life-giving things to me is when I was reminded that forgiveness and grace and mercy are part of the gospel too. Now, we just talked about being obedient. We're not talking about going soft on kids or not teaching them to be obedient. That's not what we're talking about. Kids can still be obedient. We can still teach them to be obedient. At the same time, realizing that forgiveness and grace and mercy, well, those are a part of the gospel too. Because men, fathers, I would ask you this question. Do you get just pounded on every time you violate the boundaries and you've not had the, held the standard of this place, this company, and every time you violate a boundary or a standard or something goes wrong, do they just lower the boom on you at work? Do they lower the boom every time you mess up at home, every time you mess up at work? Do we lower the boom on every athlete that messes up, that drops the ball? Do we give everyone else in the world a second chance, but maybe we don't give that son or that daughter a second chance? Maybe we don't forgive them or show grace to them or show mercy to them. And we're not talking about being soft. We're not talking about not teaching obedience. We just talked about that. But you can hold these with both hands and you can hold them in tension. Because Paul talks about this compassionate, kind, loving, forgiving spirit that goes along with believers. 
And so when you're in that moment, when the emotion has calmed down, when cooler heads have prevailed, and you're speaking with your son or your daughter, there may come a moment where there's a little tap on your shoulder from the Holy Spirit. Say, this is a moment. This is a teachable moment. But it's a teachable moment to teach them about forgiveness, teach them about grace, teach them about mercy. To teach them that somehow in God's grace, and we don't fully understand this, we don't get what we deserve. Sometimes that's okay for kids to know too. I'm not sharing this passage or sharing it because we want to somehow go soft on kids or not be obedient or not have boundaries and structure. We want all of those things, all of those things, all that authority structure is a part of God's design for us. But this is what this passage says. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Are you ready to have that kind of compassion, that kind of kindness? Are you ready to teach about forgiveness and grace and mercy when that is warranted in that moment? Whether directed at your wife or directed at your children, don't discourage them. Don't send them out of your house discouraged and upset and mad at you. Model the gospel in this way. For some of you may listen to the sermon this morning and you're thinking, well, uh, my life hasn't been like that. I wish it was. I wish I could live out all that Paul talks about here, but um, the husband-wife thing didn't go just right, and the father-son thing didn't go just right, or the father-daughter thing, and so maybe I'm just going to give up on this and just kind of walk away. Maybe this was a sermon for someone else. There's not parts of the gospel or parts of the Bible that are like that. There's not parts of the Bible that apply to you and parts that don't. This is God revealing himself to us. So we need to really stop and pray about what it means for us and how we can apply this. How can we apply it to our lives, where we are sitting on that couch or sitting here in a pew, to say, where does this hit home for me? How does Jesus hit home in my life this morning? Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.